Welcome back to Deathwatch's Call of Cthulhu campaign, Descent into Darkness, Season 2. I am Travis, and I will be your keeper today. Now, you might be thinking that Amigo has captured your normal keeper, placed his brain in a jar, assumed his skin, and is here talking to you now. But in reality, I just have a sinus infection. Yeah. Of course, maybe that's what Amigo would say. In any case, last we left off, the Boston crew, Dr. Andrews and Jimmy Whitmire, had just finished interviewing a police officer by the name of, escapes me at the moment, James Barrister, who knew something about the 1912 raid on the Church of Contemplation, and he illuminated the, the names of some of the more prominent members of that church. Meanwhile, in Arkham, Monroe used an ancient and eldritch power to see himself into the restricted collection at the Miskatonic University Library, while Professor Mueller digs deeper into the De Firmis Mysterious. But before we get back to that, we will check in with our players and have them give us an introduction and a glimpse of their state of mind. And we'll begin with you, Chris. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm playing Johan Mueller, and uh, he's still not in a good mood, <laughs> or good way, anyway. <laughs> His mind's uh, kind of unraveling. Afraid. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm Brandon, playing Dr. Wallace Andrews. Just finished or in the process of interviewing a retired police officer who described a scene of horror at a raid that he undertook and still trying to determine what this has to do with poor Charlie and how it can be used to help him. <clears throat> I'm Justin, I'm playing Lance Monroe, who has just gained access to a treasure trove of occult knowledge that he has been dreaming of finding for years and years. And I'm John, I'm playing Jimmy Whitmire, who also got done interviewing uh, retired officer James Barrister. Okay, so we'll pick up today in the humble abode of Professor Mueller as he turns yet another page in the dread tome De Vermis Mysterious. This, Chapter 4, the title, The Haunter in the Dark, From Ultimate Chaos to Nephron Cobb. From ultimate chaos at whose center sprawls the blind idiot god Azathoth, encircled by his flopping horde of mindless and amorphous dancers, and lulled by the monotonous piping of a demonic flute held in nameless pause, came he who waits in the dark. With him also was the shining trapezohedron, which he gifted to the first of earth when the stars were young. Those elder things held it for time incalculable, even against the fungi of Yugoth, 
and the star spawn of him who will rise again. In the end, it was the Elder Thing's own creations, the Shoggoths, that undid their reign and rendered their extinction. For many long years, the shining trapezohedron waited in the dark until the children of Yig found it amidst the ruins of ancient and empty cities. But the Elder Things were ever masters of arcane experimentation, and whether by joke or accident, these experimentations had evolved into a formidable race. The greater beings did not notice these new people who appeared as mere apes for many millennia, attaining their half-conscious state slowly. But on Mu, these now-evolved men witnessed the shining trapezohedron for the first time, and the days of the people of Yig as the guardians of the shining trapezohedron began to number themselves. And from there it continues on to repeat what was in the reference material that Professor Galloway has just shown Mr. Monroe. So where it was lost in the sinking of Atlantis and then dredged up by Minoan fishermen, sold off to merchants in Kem, and then came into the possession of the Black Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of a rough overview of what's in that chapter. But some of what you're reading there stirs up memories that are let's say, behind a partition in your mind, and you thought you were done with... No, oh, are you going to give me another bout of madness? No, no, no. Uh, you thought you were done with remembering things, but your mind veers away from it at the last moment be- before something horrible can break mm. through. But you do get flashes of lightning streaking across the sky and impacting into cyclopean walls and destroying a great honeycombed structure that's built into these giant cliffs. And it evokes this whisper of a past war, or wars so great in their arcane or technological weaponry that the face of Earth was changed by the event. What you see is a shadow of witnessing that in your million-year journey through the past, but it is still locked away. And you realize that to continue to read the De Vermis Mysterious not only will give you new blasphemous insight from the pages themselves, but will unlock your actual witnessing of certain events. Mm -hmm. But also... As you've been looking at these different powers, you've seen this uh, druidic-like rune language that's been used, and to your, perhaps, frustration, you realize that all of these spells require some understanding of this language to understand. Mm -hmm. Like you maybe frantically flip back to the mind transfer ceremony, and you see, ah, there it is again. Why do the gods constantly put roadblocks in your path to everlasting life? But since that's all you're doing today is reading the book there, we'll just leave you with that oh, new information to think about. But what's, what's I believe, Monroe? Or what's I believe it? we're only reading till noon-ish, because yeah. we're leaving right. today. <clears throat> oh. Yeah, and I'm, I've only got four hours in the, so in the library. So Johan will have to set out for so. the station soon. Okay. So in the restricted collection, Mr. Monroe, you saw that symbol. You can make a Cthulhu mythos roll for me. Okay. Not quite close enough to lock it. There is something familiar about it, as though perhaps you've heard it described before. Okay. Um, yeah, despite the fact, I think you said that the Liber Ivanis was in, was here. Yeah. Um, as much as I would love to get my hands on that, there was another one, the um, oh, the Nicotic Manuscripts that were here that I wanted to take a, a closer look at. Okay. Mainly because I was curious as to what kind of information the gentleman from the um, from the order was looking for when he asked me to see if I could retrieve them. Yeah, John Scott was the one that asked me to retri- see if I could retrieve them. Okay. 
Yeah, so you need to get the librarian to unlock it. It's actually in its own uh, little case, like a glass case with a lock. Okay. And it is written in English. Oh, nice. That makes it nice and easy. As quickly as I can, since I only have four hours, skim through it. Okay. And see if there are any uh, points of interest that I would want to dig in a little bit deeper. So this appears to be translation, well, not a translation, but a copy from... Captain Abner Ezekiel Hogue. How do you spell that? The last name? Yeah. H-O-A-G. And it was Ezekiel? Yeah. Okay. So it details a South Sea Islander cult of humans who worship beings from the sea. Okay. That the manuscript refers to as people from the deep, and the principal figures of their cult are Father Dagon and Mother Hydra. So this is what's called a sextodecimo. So it's four by six inches, roughly. Okay. So the as you finish flipping through it, you see that it alludes to how one might contact people of the deep or Father Dagon or Mother Hydra, but it doesn't actually detail what ceremonies are required. Okay. Is there enough information that I might be able to build something off of it? or You think that maybe this copy... Just didn't copy that information. So it might be in the the official manuscript. So perhaps learning more about who Captain Abner was, as the story says, he wrote his manuscript in 1734. You might be able to track down an original. Well, if the, the order hasn't been able to find a copy, then it might be something I could do with a, a long search, but probably not right, right now during the investigation. At this moment. So about how long did it take for me to kind of flip through through these? Um, well, so the way we're going to work this restricted collection is you actually get to make a roll against a, a piece of information you want to find. Okay. And we'll determine if you can find it in that time based on the roll. Okay. Well, these don't, like just kind of flipping through them, they don't seem to have any of the information on on any of the stuff that, that I would be interested in or that or that's relevant to the case well so far you've only flipped through this one. Oh, just just one of the manuscript yeah okay um let's set it up a, a bit different here and how you think of it this is like a resource to which you could go to and in those four hour blocks you're allotted you could ask a mythos related question and pending on a roll you receive the answer or some new detail okay and it could be in this book or it could be in a different one. So you direct the search, we do the roll, and then maybe you'll get an answer out of it. Okay. Did you want some time to think on what you want to direct it towards? Well, the immediate question is uh, anything about the, the was it the cult of starry wisdom or that symbol with the, with the eye? Okay. So I want to, so is it okay to do kind of a general... That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, you're looking question. for the cult of starry wisdom. Yeah, cult of star. Well, the cult of starry wisdom. I know that that's been a fairly recent thing. That's only in yeah. the last like hundred and something the, years. Was it the uh, consortium people? That might be a good one because they date back fairly far. Maybe yeah. not as the consortium, but. But I was thinking um, anything that might have to do with the rituals, like uh, Nefren Ka, mm. um, and the symbol in particular. Okay. So those those two are, are things that, that I that might be in here. This particular collection has a fifty percent mythos rating, so you have to roll at or under that amount. 
And I'm rolling my Cthulhu Mythos, or what am I rolling? No, actually, this is what we'll do. We'll just give you a skill. Can I use my use library skill to hmm. boost my chances? With desperate grasp of oh, the... Oh, no, uh... something weird has happened. My, <laughs> my character sheet has suddenly gone into edit mode. Hmm. Okay, so you should have skill under additional called restricted collection. Okay, yep. <clears throat> oh, I'm going to lock that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or you could push it. Oh, what what could be a push? Bad. On that one, yeah. <laughs> you are in a restricted library full of... Like, I really want to push it now. Well, before you do that, you see Latin terms as you pick up the Liber of Honest to flip through it and find something of interest. You see terms that are the same or close in English as they are in Latin, although you may not be able to read the rest of it. So before you decide to push to find information, let's see if you can actually read it. So you will need to pass also a Latin because you find something in a Liber Ivanus, you think, because there's terms that you see. Okay. For example, hold on, let me give you some of the terms you see. So Thiep as OVO. <laughs> I guess depending on how ancient the Latin is, the Vs are W. Or no, Vs, right? I thought they were, thought they were Vs I, were Ws. I thought they had like a whole bunch of different. V U N. Well, not the actual letters, but the sound yeah. type thing. Because what is it like? Uh, Viva Visa V. I came, I saw, I conquered. Vidi Vici. Vidi Yeah, it would be Weedy Weedy Vici something. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I don't think you're aware of Yig yet. I think that's only Yig. I thought that was something that we had seen. Wasn't he the the serpent? Yeah, I think I because like I've talked to Monroe about the consortium. Yeah. Yeah. So you see yeah. the name Yig in there. Okay. In the passage that's caught your eye, but the rest is Latin, so it's dependent on your ability to read Latin. All right, here we go. Nice. Ooh, yeah. yeah. So you're going to go with the luck or the yeah. push? I'll do the, the luck on it. Okay. All right. So spending nine points uh, to read a passage from the Liber Ivanus. So the Liber Ivanus is written by a sorcerer called Ibon. And there are his many tales of his expanding power. And in this one, he titles it The Crypt Magician. And he writes, I came to Irem to learn from the great sorcerer Kol Thalgum. And in those days, the city was in a decline, and one of the grand palaces had become old and downtrodden. But it was this palace that the sorcerer called his home. Therein were seven great chambers, and in each lived an undying priestess, their lives preserved by a ritual sacred to the black man. Each of the seven posed a riddle or temptation as I climbed to the throne room where Colthalagemon looked unending at the stars. Beneath their morning gazes I solved their riddles, but in each solution there also was the answer to blasphemous questions never before posed by man, be he urchin or warlock. Caressed by touch like rotted silk, I was resolute against promises of blood and flesh, yet was left with a carnal yearning that was beyond satiation." Having passed their test, they followed me to the throne room where I knelt before the might of Kothalgemen. There he was, ancient and wise, and always with one eye looking through the strange glass ever angled at the heavens. But he turned then and looked at me. The priestesses swayed behind me, and I could see their undying energy being siphoned into the sorcerer. I understood that their death was not preserved for their benefit, but as a well of power at the great sorcerer's command. For all time he could draw on it and cast it through the glass in search of the key and the gate. He said one word, ask, and so I drew myself up, insofar as my aged body would allow, 
and asked how my, li my life might be extended. And to that question, he told me of a rite called the skin of renewal, first taught to him by a yig, the father of serpents, in which the blood of a pure soul, no older than ten winters, is drunk. After the skin will split and pill, but may be removed after three moons, revealing that some portion of youth had returned. I bowed my head in thanks and left the palace to stroll by the great pillars of Irem, where children tumbled and played. No longer did they look like beings of hope and potential, but like sands in an hourglass that, by some miracle, had begun to tumble upward. Okay. Now, is there anything in there that uh, bounces off what, of Mon what Monroe already knows? Well, the skin of renewal sounds a lot like uh, some of the stuff that Oren had, had mentioned about prolonging their lives. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to remember if there was anything in the documents that I read about the the bust at the Church of the Starry Wisdom that are, yeah. Unfortunately, you only read the redacted part, so you yeah. don't have the information that Dr. Andrews has. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember if there was anything in, in that report about children. Right. But yeah, that was the uh the rumor surrounding it. So, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll kind of put two and two together that, you know, that's likely like this this skin of renewal is likely what they the ritual they were trying to perform in order to extend their life. Uh you can give me an occult roll. I can I never find these skills when I actually want them there. Is. Wow. Nice. Congratulations. Extreme success. Yeah. With that extreme success, you know there have been many historical practices where blood is drawn out and sacrificed specifically for the renewal of life. One particular story is Elizabeth Bathory, who mm, yeah. murdered, you know, yeah. many, many young women in an attempt to attain youth. Or yeah, didn't she that was bathe the in their blood? Bathed in their blood, yeah. yep. She had all sorts of fun stuff, apparently. She also froze one maid to death, uh, tied her outside and poured water on her, supposedly. Some people have come to believe that they're greatly exaggerated. but So given what you know about that and what you know about the church of contemplation, especially with its well-to-do and affluent members, is this yet another example of rich people going too far and bathing in the blood of innocence? Well, I wouldn't put it just past rich people. <laughs> I, I think anyone that had access to a, a source of immortal life would likely do something like this. So you see, after that story, he actually details the casting of the spell that he listed there. Okay. Do so, I have enough time to actually go over it? Spells take usually weeks to learn. Okay. Unless uh, a strange elder being just impresses it into your mind. <laughs> Perhaps you can find one. Yeah. We do seem to run across those from time to time. But you could potentially learn it. So that power he called the skin of renewal. Um, notes. So that was kind of one of the things that uh, that fits with what Oren had mentioned. But there was an uh, the it, this one doesn't seem to say anything about sealing your consciousness into an object, right? No, it doesn't. Okay, so I'm going to keep reading. Okay, um, but kind of note to myself that there was that skin of renewal. Okay, so yeah, you can see that it does confirm some of Walter Corbett's abilities. So the rigor vitae. Is there again listed out? The uh, Evocant Venatora is also there listed out again. Which one is it? That's the one that summons the Dark Hunter oh, okay. that Walter had transcribed to his journal. Okay. And there you see all the other ones. So obey thy master's will as you just give 
the details a cursory glance bears a striking uh, resemblance to your own ability, although it seems more forceful and direct, as though you are putting your, rather than just suggesting, you're putting your whole consciousness into the oh, your target their being. and controlling them directly. But we'll pause there for a moment okay. and head over to the Boston crew, where Dr. Andrews and Whitmire have just learned that some college kids came up here a while back asking about the Church of Contemplation and its history. Now, were they the same college kids that threatened Mr. Dooley, as he detailed in his journal? They seemed to have worn the same symbol, the Harvard symbol, with yeah, the I'm gonna head ask, in the center. Go ahead, John. Sorry, I'm going to ask uh, Officer the James Barrister uh, to to describe the college kids if he if he could. Well, they looked like college kids. You know, I'd say the the ringleader he. He had kind of an arrogant look to him, you know, the kind of kid you just want to smack upside the face when you see him, and he did most of the talking, did a lot of gesturing with that pipe of his, but kind of like he might have just picked it up to make an impression on people, not like he actually smoked it, if that makes any sense, like he was putting on airs. Okay. Yeah, it does. Um, I forget. I'm going to have to look at it again, but uh, did Dooley have a description of what these guys looked like i think it was just what they were wearing yeah so there was um there was a description not of the individuals but let me see if i can find it yeah of the harvard yeah. crest yeah the harvard crest that i recognize because dr andrews would know the one that was As described the by ring mr leader Dewey. that one yeah sly ill-tempered yep. looking kid yeah those that matches up with how barrister's describing the ringleader this time okay well, Dr. Andrews, I think it's time you went back to college. <laughs> um, now you're going to have to pretend to be college age. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, enroll. I was thinking we'd just go and visit the campus. Well, he could probably join as a professor, but I like the idea of him joining as a student. <laughs> Unless you hey, do want to infiltrate, I'll hey, be a professor kids. and you can be the student. No way. I could see... Uh, Whitmire working in like a, a shop class. <laughs> Why do we only make lock picks, Mr. Whitmire? <laughs> <laughs> well, next year we'll be hollowing out the uh, the trunks and back seats of vehicles. Show you Don't how to store some booze. <laughs> also the heel of your boot. <laughs> yep. How to hide a, uh, a file underneath the upper layers of skin. <laughs> <laughs> How to swallow and regurgitate keys. <laughs> that one, that's uh advanced course. Yeah, it said the jackets had the up. crest with a red shield with three bundles of grain surrounding a pig's head. Three open book and op open books with the letters V and E and R and I and T A S. So you know that the standard Harvard crest does not have a pig's head on it. Right. But that, you know, probably it's like some sort of social Unofficial social club. Skull and or, bones. Or a you know, fraternity or some sort of thing yeah. like that. Well, you asked me how to spell it, so I think you must have uh, EDU rolled it, but you know that that one belongs to a final club called Porcellian. Yeah, I put that, I remember writing that in my journal. Well, so for certain, James, we do need to see if we can track those boys down and see what they have to say. I definitely agree with that. 
Do you have any more questions for uh, Officer Barrister? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. All right. I'll uh, thank him for his time. Oh, uh, yeah, I want to ask, oh. did he ever keep any sort of evidence or proof of anything? There wasn't much to that I thought of grabbing after I threw that lantern. Okay. And uh, any evidence we had leading up to the raid was kept by the police. But I can't tell you not much of it came out in, in the proceedings when Michael Thomas was charged. As I said, chapel contemplation is a pit that good police work and good reporting disappears into. But he did give you a couple of names in the course of his narrative. Which yeah, I wanted to ask him, what was the name of the police officer that lied so that your story wasn't believed? I don't, I don't remember. I think his first name was Peter. Well, like I said, it's probably still in the court records. Those didn't disappear either. So maybe we should take a stop by the uh, either the police station or the courthouse too then. Okay. So did you ever get in trouble for that? For my testimony? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was put on administrative leave until the whole thing settled down. Mm. And who was in charge of you? Who put you on leave? Uh, Commissioner Turgeson. I think his hands were forced politically, if you understand. Things were already warming up for that police strike, you know, that happened a few years back, even back in 1912. They forced me to seek out. I almost ended up in a sanitarium on the back of my testimony, but narrowly avoided that. Okay. Yeah, I think that's all the questions I have. Well, if you boys get to the bottom of whatever you're looking into, if you ever find Michael Thomas, why don't you swing back around this way? Because I'd like to help you see justice done. And he pats his shotgun over there on the table next to him. We'd be, we'd be happy to have you. We'll be sure to do that. All right, so he says farewell, and you guys head back to Boston. Now let's line up our trips here so that all you guys arrive at roughly the same time. So unfortunately, Justin, that's just the nature of searching in this collected, this restricted collection. There's not, you know, like an index you can look through of terms. Um, yeah. They're all, there's no modern writings in here. They're all at least 200 years old or older. And a lot of times the terms that they reference you don't know what they mean and they seem like they depend on knowing other specialized terms and so really you can just pick apart and start reading and before you know it your time's up and the librarian says well that's it for today mr monroe thank you thank you uh it was actually incredibly enlightening and i hope to be able to come back uh perhaps once the the good doctor has returned from his journey abroad uh, uh grab a fistful of hair and a book and get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll shake his hand, thank him um, and say, I, I have a feeling that I'll be seeing you quite regularly as a, this group of, of knowledge is rather impressive. Okay. All right. So as you're walking through the library, uh, you see Thaddeus Grunewald slouched in a chair and is snoozing away to work he was supposed to be doing. <laughs> Apparently he didn't get good sleep like you, but give me a spot hidden as you pass through the library. Uh, not just, not just missed it. That was a horrible failure. All right, so you pass through the library unaware of anything. I've got hidden. too much running on in right. my in my mind. And uh, in short order, you arrive at the train station where you meet Professor Mueller there. Yeah, 
leaning heavily on a cane and uh, having probably an attache and uh, maybe a slightly or a slightly bigger like travel briefcase or not briefcase. Um, what the hell? Uh, can't remember the freaking word all of a sudden. Trunk or travel case? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, attache. Well, bigger than an attache, probably. Yeah, but yeah. Once I see, uh, you know, of course I'll I'll walk over and I say, "I was in luck, my good man. I did manage to get a." into the restricted section mm. um there was apparently quite a bit of commotion there a young lady that was uh working the library was uh, assaulted uh, had uh quite a a bad wound on her head and and quite a bit of hair was ripped out but i assure you i assure you um, she is she is recovering and she will she will recover quite fine other than being shaken that is most unfortunate to and, hear. Uh, and, what uh, was her name? Uh, did I get her name? Miss Pearson. Miss Pearson. And I'll, I'll uh, say, but uh, yeah, apparently they don't have the best of description other than, you know, an elderly gentleman. And they don't seem to have quite a bit to go on. That also is unfortunate. Such horrible crimes in the... What is the world coming to? Um, unfortunately... Uh, one of the tomes that I had hoped to peruse while I was in the restricted section was missing. And they said that this man that accosted her had uh, made off with it. I was wondering, have you come across any any tomes of such? I'll look around the station to see how many people are nearby. <laughs> uh, it's probably pretty busy. Let's leave it to your luck roll. Okay. And if you succeed, you can... Have a nice pocket of... Uh... Quiet time? Mm, nah. Yeah, it's pretty busy. Yeah, I'll thump Monroe on the leg or even the foot, perhaps, with my cane. Like, kind of real quick and not, like, obvious. Not enough to, like, really deal damage. Um, and I'll kind of, like, I know not of what you talk about. And I'll kind of look around the station. Well, that's too bad. That's too bad. Uh, I suppose if, if you do ever happen to come across a tone that, that may be of interest to... I'll hit him again. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of just I'm kind of trying to like innuendo towards them like not in public yeah I understand that yeah. Monroe might not get it but yeah that's kind of my intent like <laughs> so the one of the train attendants makes the call all aboard okay and yeah as we get on the, the train I'll have to say but I will have to tell you the uh I did manage to get a, a chance to read a book called the Liber Ivanis um well, I didn't have a chance to truly go into depth. They only allowed me a short time in there. There were many of the things in that book that were very similar to rituals that were mentioned by Mr. Oren that the uh, that the cult had been using. So it, it makes me curious if other things out there are also involved. Mm, mm, it very well could be. Do we have our own private, uh, like, car? Not car, but... Uh room on a car i would expect with your guys's credit ratings that you're probably more of just the yeah the mm. you yeah. know sit at a bench amongst the masses okay. yeah we're not doctors <laughs> 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 well herman road very what could be i mean we don't really know quite what it is we are up against it seems that there are many converging groups in this one little uh part of the world yes yes as as uh all of my research has kind of come to the 
understanding that many pockets like this around the world. And it doesn't really surprise me too much that there's a group in New England that, that is in, involved in these kinds of things. Um, one thing that greatly bothered me, though, was that one of the rituals that they had mentioned requires the sacrifice of young boys in order to prolong one's life. What is disturbing about that? <laughs> the fact that it is not young women? Uh, usually it is a virgin. Well, no? <laughs> I, I suppose it didn't specifically say young boys, but children, 10 years old or younger. Monroe is already thinking <laughs> what is the more palpable gender to sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, if I'm going to do this, it's got to be boys. Yes, how keep out of those, uh, <laughs> what is it, many various uh, uh, cultures uphold one gender over the other. Uh, China, you know, like the urine of, of men has been used in many different cultures for many things, uh, from dyeing cloth to boiling eggs, yeah. such as in China, where, where the urine of boys is used. Um, but uh, but I, it, the, the thing that struck me was that these rituals, they use young men, whereas Dooley was an elderly gentleman. Well, not necessarily elderly, but, you know, in his middle years. Mm. And so the ritual that had been done on him couldn't be the same one that they had done in well do we even know what the ritual was no uh so we have no idea as to what it is but the rituals that i that i had read in in the libri vanus that are used for prolonging life couldn't have been used for him so they, yeah, so they may now, be something completely completely different so we now rule out the prolonging of life yes so so yes I, i'm just stating that mm. you know this is not a resurgence of, of the cult in, in that ah, aspect. I see. So now all we need to do is research gruesome um, gruesome rituals for something else, some sort of power, perhaps. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, well, I'll... Uh, the, the name Yig hmm? did pop up many times. If you come across the name in, in anything else, uh, please, at, with all haste, uh, let me know and, and please let me see as well. Hmm, I will, immediately. So give me a group luck roll. So whoever has the worst between the two of you. 45. Uh, yeah, you got me. All right, so I'm rolling? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was a 99 out of 45. <laughs> That's right. Is that a... Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, there's a part of the train passage where it goes through a, an extensive tunnel through a mountain. Sorry to interrupt you. Can I just say that this is all John's fault? <laughs> okay, sorry. From all those uh, yeah. extreme successes last week? Yeah, you called it. You were like, it's going to happen to me. But it happened to both of you. So, uh, <laughs> At least I am not alone. So yeah, you pass through this uh, extensive tunnel so where you only have the lights in the cab cars lighting up the interior. And they're, they're relatively dim, as most lights are back in this era. And you're getting the clack, clack. Clack, 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 clack sort of sound in the shadows. But the cart is well loaded with people traveling back to either Salem or Boston. But you, let's see, we'll give it to the direction you're facing. You see a man, you know, walk in between the cars through those sliding doors, come in, and he's wearing a black suit and a fedora-like hat, although with a larger brim and more of like a cloth, like a supple or cloth material, uh, walk down in between the two rows of seats. And he comes up to you where you guys are sitting in the midst of your conversation. And he is waiting politely. Dude. And you're not quite aware of him yet. He's okay. sort of standing at your back. 
but he seems to, you know, be wanting to interject. We'll say you're in the middle. Maybe you're retorting to to Professor Mueller's talk of Chinese practices with your own of the uh, Incans' propensity to fatten up young girls and send them up to Veracucha for sacrifice. Uh, once again, caught in the eternal struggle of history and occult yeah. knowledge. I fear what my role would be against him <laughs> in my at current state. Yeah. But yeah, when, once I see that he, that this gentleman has stopped at a, at, you know, where we are, I'll uh, finish whatever sentence I was saying and then stand up and, you know, hold out my hand to the gentleman and say, Oh, good sir. Is there anything I can do for you? It was rumored that you could hear their fat pop as they were tossed into the volcano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I'll stand up. <laughs> Gentlemen, do I hear that? Yes, <laughs> I immediately <laughs> draw my or at least no. It's like no. Once they start talking, it's too late. Oh, I draw my gun. <laughs> okay. So yeah, to your surprise, you see Professor Mueller pull out his piece there. I think he has the Colt nineteen eleven, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll see if. Um, and I have warned you about yeah, guys with lists. Yeah, there was a guy with a that he mentioned the guy with the lisp, and so it, it'll probably take me a, a few seconds to kind of put two and two together. So at first, I'll I'll be absolutely shocked that he's drawing a weapon. I suspect that you don't stop talking, and this is the only thing that's saving us from uh, <laughs> from him talking to us. But yeah, I'll I'll still be in the middle of like holding yeah. my hand out to shake his hand as I'm watching him do this, and kind of confused as I. Well, Mueller's motion will pull his attention, and he has enough time to say, Professor Mueller, that won't be necessary, but I'll allow you to act if you want to. uh, I'm always willing to negotiate negotiate with uh, these type of beings, but I'll uh, put my, I'll put the gun on my lap and my attache case over it. Okay. And, uh, well, Zen, please sit down. All but right. if I even begin to think <laughs> for a second that you are attempting to cast any of your odd arcane magic on me, sir. Okay, so he brushes between you guys to sit in the booth. Yeah, and I'll, you know, I guess he'll probably take, is it going to be, is it one of those cars where like there's a table in between and we're facing each other or? No, there's or no table in between. You're just, you just have a little space in between, but the two chairs are set so you're facing each other right okay and then you have like an overhead canopy above the windows looking outside okay i guess i'll take the uh, seat across the aisle from him so that we can both be facing him. all right so you scoot over to mueller's side we'll say yeah okay even if it's a, across the aisle actually i would like to be across the aisle <laughs> so that way he's kind of facing sideways right towards yeah. us yeah yeah okay so he uh you know makes great pains to make sure his suit is all situated correctly after he seats himself and his uh, hat is at the right angle. And he says, Professor Mueller, I must congratulate you. You are much more resilient than I had at first thought. That you are here now is a testament to your ability. What did you think of everything you had learned? I think that's uh, some things that the human mind cannot understand and is not meant to the passage of time is a horrible horrible thing but i believe that it is humans ever adaptable nature to overcome such restrictions on our mortal flesh perhaps there's more to be learned from such experiences 
if you can survive the learning. Always a problem. The stories humans tell about themselves are always these ever upward striving towards potential and succeeding at it, but I don't think that's very true or historically accurate. But I'm not going to go into some sort of long-winded villainous monologue <laughs> and only say that I warned you to stay out of Boston. You guys can make a listen roll at this point. Nah. <laughs> Once again, I can never find something I'm looking for. It's alphabetical. It's under library use. Why is listen under library use? Because it's alphabetical. <laughs> well, I mean, why is it in the same group as library use? I don't think they necessarily have groups on the Yeah, like the, the titling the, is well, kind of... Well, it's under of, languages. Yeah, the titling is kind of all wrong. Or the grouping, category grouping. Yeah, because I've got Latin, Sanskrit, Spanish, law, library use, listen. Okay, so it's probably good that you hear this, Mueller, because you understand its context maybe a little more than Monroe does, <laughs> but you pick up the conversations in the booths around you from people traveling to and fro, and we'll say there's a, a mother and her teenage daughter sat right behind you. Unfortunately, the words that they're speaking are not in any language that you understand, and uh, you're reminded of the librarian at the Widner Library who came up very confused and babbled nonsensical terms at you until he was dismissed by both you and uh, the consortium member. But you hear that from those two, and, and as your ears prick up, you hear that other people's conversations are similarly confused. And in any case, he continues, but I don't want there to be any conflict between us. I always prefer to strike a bargain, so I just want to assure you that the plans us and the consortium have will not come to fruition in your lifetime, or perhaps even in your children's lifetimes, if you have children. So I'd like to offer you each $2,000 to cease your investigations in Boston, go on to different parts of the country. You can continue your delving into things that humans ought not know or whatever else might pique your interest. Does this not seem like a fair exchange? Why is the consortium so concerned about the death of one fat, um, horrible man? <laughs> well, like many things, the sometimes small details are a linchpin to much greater work. Hmm, I see. Could we not via the investigation elsewhere? What it, do you it, have in mind? I, I do not quite know, but would it not be better for the investigation to continue and just come to a wrong conclusion if you are so worried about the outcome? Does the boy have to die or be lobotomized? The boy is the best, in the best position for our plans to continue unabated. Could Already a, damage may have been done. Hmm. Could another sacrifice suffice? Potentially. Do you have anyone in mind? I do not. What would the criteria need to be? Well, he would have to fit the evidence surrounding the case. It has to be case-related. Yes. I will not say yes or no currently, but uh, perhaps there is time for some such thing to occur. Well, this train will go on to Boston. You guys are free to get off there. I will, of course, keep tabs on you. And I will allow you a few days to come up with an alternative sacrificial lamb for the consortium's plan. Are we in agreement? I'll uh, put away my gun. Okay. I am in agreement. And you, Mr. Monroe, 
I recognize something about you, even though I haven't met you. Well, how could anyone not remember me? <laughs> yes, that ridiculous outfit. <laughs> Check your pockets for a flyer. I think you will find yourself oh. most surprised. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll say if, if you know anything about me, then you know that staying out of Boston is not an option for me. Uh, my museum is there and my livelihood is there and I, I have no plans on relocating. As for the, the young boy, uh, I will continue my investigation to clear him of his name. And if we find somebody that should be uh, in sacrificed, as you had both said, in his stead, then he can go through the legal process as well. But I have no intent on leaving that young boy to be sacrificed for no other purpose than just to further your gains. You must do what you feel is right, of course. Yes. Uh, Herr Monroe, I think you are not looking at so big a picture. What is their gains could easily also become our gains well, or plans. If the gains involve sacrificing that young boy, then I am afraid that our goals do not align. But your morality always astounds me, Herr Monroe. But as we've come across many people in this investigation, there are quite a number of people that have skirted the law, outright lied in court in order to sacrifice this young man, and uh, done things that I would have no objection to putting them on the sacrificial block. Actually, we'll pause there for a moment and uh, jump over to the return car journey as Whitmire and Dr. Andrews head back to Boston. So you have a bunch of stuff going on. So we're going to see how you guys want to do this. So you're expecting Monroe's return mm -hmm. sometime shortly after you guys arrive. You also have the discovery information from James Clark. Um, Whitmire, you know, you have to talk to the Honorable Hugh Holland yet, hopefully to put a stay on the, uh, not lobotomy, the electroshock shock treatment that they were planning to do on Charlie Murphy. Andrews, you also know that Van Barnett might have some more information on that fiber he was analyzing. Yeah. And also you could take Murphy's drawing there and see somebody if somebody from the physics department could mm -hmm. wrap their head around it. So how do you guys want to do that once you get back to Boston? Well, I think that it would be a good idea for me to go see that judge real quick. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah. Uh, well, while what you're doing you? that, I can go see my friend at the university and see if I can get it, any answers about this drawing as well as that fiber he was looking at. Okay. And then do you want to try and uh, find Monroe and, um, was it Monroe and... Uh, well, Mueller? he had gone to look for Mueller, but yeah. Or do you expecting... want to just go to Harvard? Yeah. What? When is Monroe supposed to be back? Uh, did you send your telegram off that morning with details of your return? Um, I know I sent one the night before saying that I had found Johan and I, I would have probably, I don't think I specifically stated that I sent one the next morning on when we'd be returning. Uh, but yeah. well, well, let's make sense. it easy and you guys <clears throat> yeah. are keeping in constant communication unless otherwise stated. So yeah, you will have had another telegram this morning about their expected arrival in the early afternoon. Okay. And what time are we? So you guys will get back to Boston about noon. So you would each have time to do something like one line of inquiry before they're expected to return. Yeah. So like, I guess since it's about lunchtime anyway, 
then I'll just dig into the discovery information while I'm eating, and perhaps we can all meet there. At O'Lafferty's? Yeah. Okay. So you're going to get this little packet from James Clark, and then Whitmire, you're going to go track down the Honorable Hugh Holland? Correct. Or instead of tracking him down, James Clark has sent you a telegram saying that Hugh Holland will actually meet you at the lodge hall for lunch, if that works Perfect. for you. All right, so starting with Dr. Andrews, you arrive at O'Lafferty's. You've gotten this special mm-hmm. delivery packet that contains a few documents. Uh, so first is like a bullet point list of what the prosecution plans to use in prosecuting the case against Charlie Murphy, and that includes a copy of Charlie Murphy's confession, a neighbor's witness testimony, uh, the police report from Officer Nathan Noya, he was the beat cop who originally arrived at the scene, and a police report from Peter Fallon, Detective Peter Fallon. Although conspicuously absent is Detective Wayne Nichols' police report. Mm-hmm. And also, they claim to have in their possession the murder weapon, which is described as a flat iron covered in the blood of the victim. So let me go through each one of those and share them with you. Beginning with Charlie Murphy's confession. Okay, so it's a typed confession dated Tuesday, March 1st, 1921. Addressed to the authorities. I, Charlie Murphy, being of sound mind and body, do confess to the killing of my uncle Robert A. Dooley. I killed him early in the morning on November 1st because I was angry with him after an argument. Once he was asleep, I proceeded into his bedroom and struck him on the head with a flat iron. I then proceeded to tear him apart and arrange his pieces in a manner consistent with my beliefs as a worshiper of Satan. (laughs) Afterward, I painted a symbol of satanic power on the wall. I am not remorseful of these actions as Mr. Dooley was a stupid man and a necessary sacrifice to Lucifer. I had planned other such sacrifices prior to my arrest. I do so swear and confirm this statement with my signature, Charlie Murphy. (laughs) And even though you don't have the, where he signed for representation by James Clark, that does appear to be a matching signature. Of course, you're not, you know, comparing them directly, but from your memory. Well, boys, pack it up. (laughs) That sounds like a pretty uh, solid confession right there. (laughs) Yep. Okay, so next up is the witness statement. All right, so this was from Kenny Adkins, neighbor of accused. It began at the stroke of midnight. I remember because the grandfather clock in my home had just told the hour. I heard Mr. Dooley hollering and yelling, but I could not make out what he was hollering about. Then all was quiet, and I thought the matter at an end. No more than an hour later, I heard a chanting begin that sent a chill up my spine. I don't know for certain what the chanting was about, but I felt compelled to cross myself and grab the good book. When I got my nerves up, I went outside and I saw Charlie standing on the step looking at me. I don't know if it was blood, but his hands glistened with something wet that reflected the moonlight. I am ashamed to admit it, but I went back inside and locked my doors. The officer who took that was Detective Peter Fallon. Then Nathan Noya's police report. Officer statement. Nathan Noya, first officer on the scene. Responding to a neighbor's complaint of a noise disturbance, I arrived at 37 Stillman Street around 9.15 on the morning of November 1st. Immediately, upon my arrival in the vicinity, I heard an unknown individual wailing or crying from inside the house. Believing someone to be in probable danger, I tried to enter the residence but found the door locked. I kicked open the front door and proceeded through the mudroom and living room and into the bedroom where the crying originated. 
There I found who I later learned to be Charlie Murphy, cradling the severed head of his uncle, Robert A. Dooley, the victim. I then secured Charlie Murphy in the patrol vehicle, noting that he had some of his uncle's blood on his clothes and communicated with HQ of a probable homicide. I then secured the scene and awaited the arrival of the detective. And finally, Peter Fallon's police report. Officer Statement, Homicide Detective Peter Fallon. On November 1st at approximately 9.30 a.m., my partner Wayne Nichols and I arrived at 37 Stillman Street in response to a probable homicide. Upon our arrival, we found that Officer Nathan Noya had secured a young man in the back of his police cruiser and also cordoned off the scene. While Wayne Nichols went inside to investigate the interior of the home, I made a circuit of the perimeter where I noted that all other entry points were secured except the front door, which I later learned Officer Nathan Noya forced open. Returning to Officer Noya, I conferred with him where he described that a man had been killed and dismembered inside the home. Interviewing the neighbors that had gathered, I was able to learn that the young man was Charlie Murphy. The victim was the owner of the residence, Robert Dooley. I then attempted to interview Charlie Murphy, but he refused to speak. I noticed blood on his clothes, arms, and hands. Determining that the young man may be a threat, I secured him in handcuffs and went inside the residence. And there are indications that there are pages two and three of this report, but they note that they've been misplaced. And that was Detective Nichols? That was Peter Fallon. Oh. Peter Fowler. Wayne Nichols' partner. That's right. And obviously they did not send you a copy of the murder weapon. They just note that it has been entered in as evidence against Charlie Murphy. But that's the extent of what James Clark got from his discovery. Also, there's some papers in there that he has a note on that will require yours and Whitmire's signatures for the uh, private investigator's license. And also what you guys wanted to name. He needs to know what you want to name your private investigator firm oh it's happening nice <laughs> what is it gonna be andrews and whitmire or whitmire and andrews yeah i don't know what should we i'll talk to whitmire about it when i see him next okay well let let you look over that and uh jump over to jimmy whitmire as he comes up on the lodge hall of the hermetic order of the silver twilight where by now you've done this interesting uh, ritual of divination to determine if Logan Terry is there. So you <laughs> kind of put your fingers up and twirl him around, and you don't see any indication that he's there. Are you going to enter the lodge hall? Yes, I will right. enter the lodge hall. <laughs> Was that a big thing in this era, to, like the divining sticks for uh, yeah. water and whatnot? Yeah. <laughs> so they just start turning in the direction that he's in? <laughs> well, you believe they turn in that direction. They do. All right. So, inside the lounge, you see a few of your fellow order members sitting there. There is none other than Detective Wayne Nichols himself, who he looks somewhat distraught, but when he sees you walk in, he kind of gives you a bit of innuendo with his facial features to be like, whatever you're here about, you know, we can't talk about it here if you've come to talk to me. That's all somehow communicated by the twisting of his eyebrows and the darting of his eyes as he looks at the people he's with. Uh, next to him is Hugh Holland. Sick. Sorry about that. So yeah, he's uh, got a, you know, he's one of those guys whose hair has gone completely silver at his age rather than being peppered. And he has like a great bushy uh, cavalryman's mustache. But um, he recognizes you. But who's doing the talking right now is uh, Philip Valerio, who you met on the first day. He was an accountant, do you think? Okay. But he's the one who greets you when you enter. And he's like, ah, Mr. Whitmire, right? Yes. Good to see you again, uh, Philip. 
and I'll uh, uh, also uh, greet uh, Judge Hollins and Detective Nichols, too. Uh, we are drinking to Detective Nichols has had a bit of bad luck. Apparently, he's been placed on suspension. Uh, we're just trying to ease his suffering. Would you join us? Of course. I'd love to to sit down and and uh, I'll pull up a chair to the right of Nichols there. So what are you drinking? I don't really drink. It's uh, like, <laughs> I don't know, club soda. Was... So Philip, you know, puts up his fingers and, and uh, waves over one of the serving people and they run off to get you a club soda. And uh, there you hear, or they relay the story about how Detective Nichols has been suspended. He says he's not sure why they didn't give a cause. It's just an administrative leave. I mean, they'll do that in lots of circumstances, just as a matter of course of, you know, say you discharge your weapon in the line of duty or what have you, but he's not sure why he's been placed on it now. Well, I wouldn't be too worried about it, though. So what brings you by the, the lodge hall? Well, I was actually uh, on my way here to see Judge Holland about... Uh about Charlie Murphy, actually, was I'm not sure if what was was his name uh, the attorney Clark. Yes, he did. He did mention that to me. He said it was a private matter. So if you'll excuse us, gentlemen, Jimmy and I have a discussion to be had. We'll see ourselves to the bar. I'll uh, clap Detective Nichols on the shoulder as I'm going by and tell him that uh, I'm sure that everything will get better. As, uh, you just got to write it out sometimes. Thanks, Jimmy. I appreciate that. And I'll uh, continue following Judge Holland into the, the bar area. So Clark says you you have something you need done for you in the matter of this case against Charlie Murphy. Yeah. Um, yeah we, we've been, uh, me and a few others have been in doing a, an investigation into what actually happened over there at the uh, the old Dooley house and... Uh, there's just no way this kid could have done these things. But they want to start shocking him. Uh, once they start messing with his mind, and we're never going to know what happened. I see. Well, I'm not the judge overseeing that case, but I would think, in my experience, it's a simple matter to, if you can find a history of prior treatment, you might be able to get his previous doctor to take over, and in which case he can set the course for, for what is required. Or... I could issue a stay on it, but yeah, that—that's what I was. Uh, we were all hoping for. Is uh, even though you're not the the judge presiding, we would definitely appreciate if you could help us out with the the stay, and that would allow us more time to try and get him transferred over to a prior doctor if there is one. Well, I'll see what I can do. I know the judge Alton Jordan, not a bad judge, a bit young, but. I won't hold that against him. Of course, Mr. Whitmire, I will require a favor from you. As, uh, I thought you'd say that. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I have nothing specific, so this is just one in the pocket, if you can agree to those terms. You know that I'm always happy to do favors for you, Judge. Well, always good to see you, Whitmire. I will ring up Honorable Jordan right now and see if we can get a stay put on that treatment. As I'll uh, extend my hand and thank him. Yeah, he takes your hand and he asks, is there anything else that I can do for you? You know, actually, how familiar are you with... Uh, i got to find that board again. 
the that attorney um, that wrote the check. Oh, Frank Ballenkamp? Yeah. Oh, I'm very familiar with him. I've been witness to many trials in which he successfully argued to the jury of the innocence of people who were plainly not innocent, in my opinion. But we are all of us slaves to the law. And if that's what the jury finds, then I am only then to render my judgment. He's a quality lawyer. If such a term can be used to describe a lawyer, I find the people he represents to be a good indication of the man who he is. I don't think he's a good person necessarily, but he does work for a a law firm called Booskin Realm, who they don't really specialize in criminal defense. They're more, you know, corporate law or that sort of thing. Do you understand? He's just yes. sort of an outlier, takes on certain cases. Okay. Those uh, particular cases that have to do with... Uh, the criminal element of Boston. Yeah, those Francis Sweetwater. Yes, he has represented him in the past. And some of his cronies, as I understand it. And your old boss, Patrick Malone, if I have it all straight. Yeah, I know he's... Uh, they seem to be... Uh, that whole crew seems to be getting uh, very well acquainted with each other. I do appreciate the information. Is, is there anything that I can do for you? And all like I the bar area. Oh no, I'm I've quite had my fill. I still have work to to attend to. Plus, I have that in the pocket should I ever need it. I'll see you around, Mister Whitmire. It's always a pleasure, Judge. All right, so we'll leave off with your conversation there. But you're still in the lodge hall, and we'll jump back over to the train ride back to Boston, where Mister Monroe. And Professor Mueller still sit across from this strange, lisping man. and uh, uh, But he does interject at some point, and he says, Your moral debate concerns me somewhat to your resolve in finding the proper sacrifice. Is this going to be a problem, gentlemen? Well, I suppose it can only be a problem once we found our proper sacrifice. I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> what I mean is that how are we supposed to know if it's a proper sacrifice until we find the sacrifice that we're willing to give up? I guess we will have to see then. Is there some sort of way that we could, um, what would the word be, vet or run past you if we have potentially a proper sacrifice? Or perhaps if you have any options for us. I have no options, but I do have a place that you could drop a name once you have it. And he gives you an address where you can leave a message. Okay. Do you have any particular requirements? Well, he should be somebody of Charlie Murphy's station. Someone that people won't look too close into, as I expected they would not with Charlie Murphy. I suppose I was wrong on that matter. Does the matter of uh, Charlie Murphy's uh, mental deficiencies come into play on this as well? Does he need to be deaf or dumb or any such thing? Well, that would be handy, but that's not necessary. I see. When you say of his station, would uh, perhaps a corrupt police officer or criminal of some such be amenable? Well, you see, some of those that you describe are important to the consortium's goals in Boston. Is his youth a factor as well? Those are just circumstances. Mm. What about uh, perhaps members of criminal organizations that are not uh, a part of the consortium? That would be acceptable. Very well. You find the name and get me the message, and I will tell you if the target works with the consortium's goals. 
See how I'm roll? Zoa's always a jumping off point, yes, I guess. I agree, and I'm not disagreeing on a sacrifice, but if I must sacrifice someone, then it must be within the realm of my conscience. <laughs> I like that. as shallow as it may be. I like the idea of us getting into some sort of heated debate <laughs> and then trying to draw him in on either. <laughs> <laughs> but as for you, my good man, uh, you've mentioned the consortium several times. Is what is the consortium? And and uh, you you mentioned plans long after we're dead. <laughs> I said specifically I was not going to get drawn into a long villainous monologuing. Well. If it would be amenable to you, then uh, perhaps someday soon we could actually meet and have a conversation. Now, you say villainous monologue, but <laughs> as our conversation has uh, shown... You guys have villainous dialogues. <laughs> <laughs> Villainy is uh, in the matter of perception. That's true. and Which is fi- why I find your moral bickerings humorous if you don't even understand the truth of anything how can you come to any moral conclusion and that that right there gets to the crux of my questioning is you fell into his trap how this big man <laughs> perhaps <laughs> perhaps we could get into a conversation in the near future about the truth of the situation and perhaps truth as a, a greater understanding uh, Perhaps. If I think it to the consortium's benefit, I will seek you out, Mr. Monroe. Very well, and I'll pull out a flyer, <laughs> and I will hand it to him, and I'll say, you of course know where to find me. <laughs> it fell right into <laughs> his trap. <laughs> Those flyers, <laughs> do you, uh, do you, uh, inscribe, uh, Arcane like mythos lore, <laughs> yeah, on on but, the back of them. So when they look on the back for information, they become mindless zombies. No, but kind of like any of of those uh, like museums of the period, they they probably have some things that look like arcane symbols and stuff like that on them that are really except ha- yours no really are. Yeah, I may start incorporating some of the actual Cthulhu. Yeah, he See takes it. You and can... puts in his jacket and. Uh... Go ahead and give me your spot hidden rule. You know, no matter how many times I Both actually succeed just him. at this, I can... Just him, you are, you're already hmm. aware of it. Uh, once again, completely oblivious. <laughs> Helped you this time. <laughs> so you just don't see his uh, shadow hmm. cast in the light as he stands to leave. Uh, have a good day, gentlemen. I will keep be keeping an eye on you. I'm sure that you will. Ah, good day to you, sir. And he sees himself out of the train car. And as he leaves, I'll look at Mr. Mueller and say, he didn't seem quite as bad as you had let on in your... Look around the train, Herr Monroe. So, yeah, look around and... (laughs) Yeah, once he points it out, you start to pick up the conversations that other people in the train car are having, and they're saying, like, nonsense words. And there's a growing sense of confusion amongst them as, like, two people will be trying to communicate with each other, but they're both spouting gibberish. And once again, I'll just say, fascinating. We were both very close to probably waking up somewhere out in the West Coast, perhaps. Uh, or worse. Yes, uh, thankfully. As, as I have found when delving into the mysteries of the world, sometimes you come across beings that you have no right to be in the company of. So you have come across something similar before? Yes, in Peru there were, I believe you've read the case notes, that there were uh, many creatures and things that were what we would 
consider unnatural these Have days? Have I read the case notes? I don't know. You can if you want. How? What were the chances of sand loss on them? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I don't think I put any to it. Okay. Let's take a look, though. Because uh, poor Herr Mueller could not have... Uh, he, he was Mr. Mueller, I've got the experience of a lifetime for you. It involves <laughs> a mask. So the Pishtaku myth and journeys in Peru, the collected journal journey, the collected journals of the Larkin expedition members, with annotation by Thaddeus Grunwald, in which he details some of the Incan lore out further, is worth plus one Cthulhu mythos to those that didn't take part, plus one percent occult, and it takes nine days to read. So. If you had the time to do it, you could have. You would just have to modify up your mythos. And I your... think I was. Unfortunately, I believe I was in extended therapy sessions at the time. Uh, uh. <laughs> there are complications that come with working for the, uh, what is this? The... the Society for the Exploration of the Unexplained. Thank you, Herr Keeper. <laughs> and I'll, I'll kind of get that, that distant look and I'll say, yes, yes, I can fully understand that. You will also note that Herr Merriweather has no problem sending us out to work acquire and cure all of these wondrous uh, things and given not. the certain predicament you guys find yourselves now in with finding a sacrificial lamb perhaps there's new meeting brought to the moral quandary that you guys discussed in session one about who you would give up yeah mm, the drunk yeah or the, the oh, okay. but the uh the train comes out of the tunnel and the full light of day makes everything seem not real that had just occurred. And you now begin to notice that the conversations around you have, they're no longer jumbled up and people seem to be waking out of a confused state, happy to let it pass without comment. But yeah, I'll spend the rest of the, the journey talking his ear off about our journey in Peru. Okay. And for once, Johan will be more than happy to let him talk all about that. Okay. So. All right, Dr. Andrews, um, you've gone over all those notes. And you also made that connection last session, let me get back to the link chart, where you had successfully realized that those clippings that Dr. Call gave you from the typo mm -hmm. mentioned Francis Walsh and William Murrow and Daniel Ellsworth all attending uh, baptism. A baptism, yep. Yeah. And you might be ruminating on how that all plays into this. But are you, is Whitmire coming here after... His meeting with you, Holland? Yeah. Okay, Whitmire, was there anything else you wanted to do at the lodge before you head to O'Lafferty's? Uh, I do want to see if I can gain uh, any any other information on the suspension of uh, Detective the Nichols. Okay. Like Yes. Was, yeah, was it just out of the blue? Or, I mean, did they call you in? Yeah, he, well, he says, excuse me, Philip, uh, I have to talk to Jimmy Whitmire a moment privately and philip seems hurt now to be left out of the loop for two secret conversations but is, <laughs> so like <laughs> like the triumphant Dude. lover i will give him a uh, <laughs> i i set that guy up for uh that was the one i played for a bit right dr call yeah. yeah yeah i set him up to be at the dinner so he could have seen button vomit that's true uh, and he missed out it's his <laughs> fault he's the one that is uh wrecking his own <laughs> own fun here um, he did this to himself <laughs> but yeah you guys go off to a more secluded spot to talk maybe just on your way out because he mentions that he ought to be getting home to his wife 
So you guys are just having a conversation as you walk out and you ask him about his suspension and he says, yes, it was out of the blue, although I was going to ask you if you guys had made some moves that might alert somebody within the police force that would put pressure on their end of things, would take me out of the picture. Well, and Logan Terry was... Logan Terry was involved with uh, my old boss, Patrick Malone, and they did try to to uh, get me to do some less than honest work for him, uh, and in the meantime set me up for a frame, but that's the only thing that I could really think of. Did you come across any indication that Logan Terry's aims were against this this case against Charlie Murphy, or... I suppose not against it, but in keeping it proceeding apace. So, or did he not reveal what he was aiming for? As I got to go back to my journal real quick, and I'll. So he wanted me to go and find some information on uh, a man named Barry Pollard, and apparently this guy is a headmaster at a girls' high school. Um, hmm. it, at the same time, before he'd let me leave, he wanted me to pick up this firearm and leave it with him which i'm no fool uh luckily i was able to get out of there without having to do that but i i don't know who this barry pollard is is it was something that i was going to check out if i had some additional time have you ever heard of him before if i'm not mistaken i believe he's a member in our order oh i was not aware of that um does does he do him and Logan Terry have uh, some type of dispute? Uh, not that I have any knowledge of, but you mentioned that him and Patrick Malone were trying to press you into some sort of work for them against Barry Pollard. I have some reservations that Patrick Malone would would have anything to do with Francis Walsh because we have that, you guys had had that thought that Peter, my, my partner, got the check signed by Frank Bellencamp, you know, a known, he, he does representation for all these criminals. And then there was that note that said it was from FW. And I never did hear back from you. Did Dr. Andrews ever say whether those men were Francis Walsh's men? Oh, they were most definitely Francis Walsh's men. I, I know, I've seen uh, Sweeney and Quinn before. I, I know that they're associated with him. Well, I, I just don't see your boss, your old boss, Patrick Malone, doing it, working... Francis Walsh, they're at odds. They run the same game, but, you know, from different points. What would I, I be don't the gain think of it? that it was uh, necessarily Malone working with Walsh. I think that uh, Terry had either <clears throat> given him a favor or had something over him that was making him, uh, you know, uh, call in the debt that I owed him. Okay. So you think Walsh has something over Terry. Terry had something over Patrick. They're trying to get you to look into this guy, Barry Pollard, who is the head mattress, <laughs> the head master of girls' high school. <laughs> yes, the head mattress of the girls' high school. <laughs> that almost sounds like a... That's uh, one like hell an, of a position. Yeah, it almost sounds like an like a insult. Right. Kind of like a round heel <laughs> or whatnot. You're the head mattress. I mean, everyone's... Headmaster, more like head mattress. Yeah, everyone's sleeping around on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know how to tease that apart, Jimmy. Well, I, and that's the only thing that I can think of. I mean, we did go see uh, 
that retired officer, James Barrister, but that was just, you know, earlier. Um, so I don't think, I don't think that would have, would have caused that that quickly at least. I mean, but I definitely think that, uh, I definitely think that the church is involved. And it, I don't know that he's necessarily a member, but Francis Walsh has to have something to do with it. And I'll go into some detail about the a couple of the people that they had found that uh, James Barrister had, had mentioned uh, being in part of that church, uh, like the the councilman um, and then the congressman. Hmm. Well, the names don't ring a bell. As I said, I moved here a couple of years ago, so I'm not familiar with the politics of that era, but I assume political servants would leave quite a paper trail in the way of, you know, when they served, uh, if they're dead, there'd be death certificates you could pull up. I don't know if any of that would illuminate the connection. That's, but, uh, uh, that's a good point. Is, uh definitely put that on the list of, of things that we need to look into. Well, as... I find myself with an abundance of free time, so if there's some task you like me to run run an errand for you be it death certificates or or whatever other ideas you have well have you heard from your uh your partner uh detective fallon do you, do you even does anybody even know where he's at i uh, still in salem as far as i know okay. he was expected to be up there all week pursuing a separate case odd he wasn't in his house when i went there <laughs> or was he? I forget. No, he wasn't. <laughs> no. You know, there, there is one, uh, actually, uh, two things that I can think of right now. One is the uh, Reverend Michael Thomas. And you, uh, if I remember correctly, he escaped from the prison that he was in. Is that right? Or is he still in prison? Yeah, he escaped in 1918 after a strange explosion. Okay. So, and if there's any details that you can get us on surrounding that explosion, um, maybe also if he, uh, I don't know if you have any connections at at uh, any of the, the um, prisons, but and that that would be a huge help. As maybe uh, if there was anybody that he was known to hang around with in there. Yeah, I can definitely look into it. I will uh, get back to you tomorrow. You want me to contact you at? Monroe's museum. Yeah, I'll I'll swing in there and and see if there's any uh, any messages for me. The other thing is uh, there was a, a vaudeville player, uh, Lily Flores. Have you heard of her? Oh, doesn't ring a bell, but maybe my wife knows something. I'll ask her. Okay. Um, if if you might be able to, um, I'd like to try and track her down so I could talk to her. Okay. She was part of the church as well. All right, I'll, I will look into that stuff and I'll get back to you tomorrow. All right, I'll uh, yeah extend my hand and give them another you know clap on the shoulder and tell them I, I don't think that uh, yeah they, they might be able to suspend you now, but then they'll they'll never keep a good man down. <laughs> Gosh, you're a cheerful fella. And he shakes your hand. Yeah, until he checks and see that I stole his wallet. What? <laughs> All right, <laughs> so. Uh, after that conversation, I believe you're on your way to O'Lafferty's, where you see yes, Dr. Andrews rifling through a bunch of papers, and uh, you walk up to the table, and your guys' is now customary table, and you make your customary order, it's roughly lunchtime, a little past, and there you two are. 
how are you going to go about it? Um, so and I'll uh, I'll sit down and you know, ask is was ask him what's new. So this here is the uh, discovery evidence that um, the lawyer sent to me. Now that he's taken on Charlie's case, and uh, it's got some statements, witness statements mostly. But look at this, and I'll I'll hand him the so-called confession note. I'll, uh it's ludicrous. Yeah, like I I would say uh, probably about halfway through it, I'll I'll start laughing. Yeah, it's a, it's a, they they can't honestly believe that this is that this would actually cover this. Well, I, I guess really what they were planning on was for no questions to be asked. They didn't, uh, I guess that's they, they didn't true. expect us to be looking into this. <clears throat> now, Plus, here's, we've also got the uh, hospital. Go ahead. As you say, if they have them in that hospital, they can just, I mean, you've seen people that have come out of there, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he doesn't really talk doesn't help his case any. Uh, what else did they did they have for their discovery? Well, here's the statement from the from Detective Fallon, um, and I'll pass that over. You'll you'll see that there's a couple pages missing from it. No doubt they were lost somewhere. Hmm. But but his statement and this witness statement from a neighbor, um, you know, nothing stands out to me as as dishonest or or an outright lie, but uh, the fact that two pages are missing from Detective Fallon's statement, and we know he's dirty anyways. Yeah, I, I almost... Uh, I wonder if that Kenny Adkins is still living over there. Maybe we yeah. we can talk to him. And it's, I don't think it's a good idea to just go off of whatever uh, that Detective Fallon is writing down. I mean, who yeah. knows if, if this is what the guy actually said. Yeah, and then, um, well, did you did you find the judge? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, he's going to talk to the judge that's handling the case and try and get a uh, help us with a stay. And then he did make mention that we should look into uh, we should try and get the uh, Charlie Murphy's uh, medical records so that we could see if there's any past history of. Uh, treatment maybe we can get him transferred over to his previous doctor if there was oh that's a good idea as i also ran into uh detective nichols while i was meeting with the judge and it seems like he's had a a series of unfortunate events as he's suspended now um you know i think that it might have something to do with our our investigation as they're taking it out on on him uh as, as uh, the pe- the person that hired us, or uh, at least the person that asked Meriwether to for a favor, mm. but uh, in the meantime, that does free him up. So I'd asked him to look into the Reverend Michael Thomas's escape from prison, and also try and find that vaudeville player that James Barrister had mentioned to us. Yeah, her name Ellie uh, Lily Lily Flores. Lily Flores yeah. And in the meantime, though, I definitely think uh, that Francis Walsh has something to do with this. And his, his name just keeps popping up too many times to be a coincidence here. And plus, you know, the, the two thugs that he had sent after you are to scare you off. 
Yep. You know, in the same way, the obviously the Harvard guys uh, have something to do with this too. But and uh, there's uh, also the matter you guys have to determine what your private detective agency is going to be called. The most important matter. <laughs> <laughs> and now, was Say, the plan here to wait here and have a discussion and go over things until Monroe and Mueller arrive, or did you guys want to go on from here to other matters? Yeah. So when are when are we expecting them? Like it would be later now. in the afternoon, so maybe an hour or two. Yeah, so we now. might as well just wait. Yeah, we could sit here and, and damn uh, lots of coffee, either discuss yeah. or yeah. <laughs> I was thinking we'll call it A and W though. A and W detective agencies. Yeah. Okay. Or private investigators. Yeah, either of them. Yeah, either way, I think that that would work. A and W PIs. So we'll um, leave you guys into that discussion where you you have many cups of coffee and. <laughs> come up with more and more wild names. And uh, then Monroe and Professor Mueller arrive back in Boston. Uh, now, wherever you get, like if you go on to your museum or something, you'll get telegrams from Dr. Andrews. Meet us at Olafferty's. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. And same if you go back to the hotel you had, had booked when you first arrived. I don't think I have need to go back to the hotel because uh, I'm with Monroe in this instance. But yeah. I believe I'm checked out of the other hotel at least i hope so so in any case once you take care of small business matters monroe with the museum as you often do when you go away you have a telegram from dr andrews to meet at olafferty's so herr monroe how are we to go forward with this are we to keep our companions out of the scheme well i believe the whitmire would probably not have uh, any problems with (laughs) Some of the things that we're concerning, but as far as Dr. Andrews, I believe that his Hippocratic Oath may may prove a uh, a problem. I agree. Based on your stories from Peru, it seems that Whitmire would be a good accomplice. Yes, yes. But um, the question is, like, I do believe that grasping at straws will soon come to light. The futility of attempting to clear Charlie Murphy. Because as a cons- the consortium... We, given their special and unique abilities, can just simply push this through if need be. Yes, but the question is whether or not they can do that without drawing unwanted attention. That is true. And perhaps if we shine a spotlight in the right directions, then they will have no other choice but to make a, a different decision on who to that, sacrifice. That is very possible. But do we have time for that? They might attempt to go forward with it, as he said. The ritual is already in danger of being ruined. Well, I suppose we will just have to see what Whitmire and Andrews have found and discovered while we were gone, and perhaps they have already disrupted the plans in ways that we haven't thought of yet. <laughs> no, this is true. Um, did you ever tell me about the uh, button yeah. vomiting incident? Um, yeah, I probably would have okay. caught you up on, on all that. Because it would seem that most of this city is in the thrall. The reach seems to be pretty broad. Yes, and you know, the more that, that I begin to realize, uh, especially with these toad statues and these dreams, more and more people seem to be affected by them than... Perhaps they are casting a web. Very likely, and it seems to be anyone that is attempting to... The city itself is perhaps a ritual? Perhaps something could, within the city. Could we theorize on this using a cult? Yeah. yeah. Um... It's kind of like an idea role. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I will mention that uh, Oren Eddy had mentioned the ley lines and 
the way that the no, you saw very powerful ley lines within the city. Yeah, <laughs> that the uh, church had was laid upon, and uh, that they spiderweb they likely spiderweb outward from that point. That's a site of uh, men's power. Yeah. Okay, so in your discussion between the two of you, you come up with this knowledge of the holy sites or sacred lines, um, or you know at least one was at the Chapel of Contemplation, but Oren had mentioned there were others. This was just the most powerful. And also what springs to mind to you is that story you just read about the, uh, the crypt magician, about how he had the seven priestesses mm-hmm. who were whose life were extended, who he was using as kind of a battery for arcane power. Mm. I had actually thought of that and and how the reverend had, you know, kind of created something similar with... Right, and there are these, you know, of at least two corpses in Oren Eddy and Walter Corbett and more that may be buried around Boston that could be acting in conjunction with these sacred lines as a way to gather great dark energy as to what the cause is it could have been this blood ritual to make people more youthful or something else entirely mm. but the important thing that you guys key on is that the chapel of contemplation was chosen because of already existing site of power and then via this rite of nephron ka they amped it up even more and then yeah. michael thomas went on to greater and more terrible rites until the 1912 raid when it all came crumbling down. Yeah. And what's left is, what, the consortium? Are they the inheritors of this power? Those are the questions you guys come with in the line of your, the line of thought kind of narrows into that. Hmm. Most fascinating, I would say. Yes. Boston just became a much more interesting place than it was before. It has. And now we at least have some sort of explanation as to why so many odd occurrences are happen around the city. Yes. Uh, perhaps we could look into uh, some other places of power that we might also find information. Members of this consortium are... Indeed. Per- well, perhaps if we succeed in switching the, the sacrifice, we already have a invitation. Yeah. At least you do. Perhaps. perhaps. All right. Are you gentlemen ready to move on to O'Lafferty's? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you guys are in O'Lafferty's discussing the name of this private detective agency and have you settled on A&W private detective, private detectives? Is that right? Yeah, or should we do private dicks? <laughs> yeah, A&W private dicks. <laughs> yeah, the, private detective is fine. The uh, waiter that's bringing you your ninth cup of coffee, he's like, A&W, that's a great name for a root beer. And he runs off. <laughs> and he runs off. Son <laughs> <laughs> Ah, diggity dog. <laughs> uh, all right, so I will put that down. That's actually what they'll end up doing is they've, they've got their private investigation, but, you know, Whitmire will come up with a non-alcoholic beverage that he really likes that he's going to call root beer. Jeepers. Yeah. Yep. Was... This tastes better than all, any old giggle water I've ever had. Well, so you guys um, write that in the open line and then make your marks. Sorry, John, didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, as you say, as I, I'm... Uh... A non-drinker, so I've got to have something that uh, that looks similar to your guys's beers. That's that right. Way I don't feel as if I'm a child. <laughs> that even makes you more of a child to be drinking root beer when others are drinking beer. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, you guys are all gathered here, and we'll let the last fifteen minutes or so, since now 
all four very different paths are in one place, we can determine what the next moves are going to be via a conversation. Ah, uh, Herr Andrews, Herr Whitmire, it feels as if I have not seen your faces in ages. Ah, <laughs> welcome back, sir. Glad to see you alive and well. We're concerned about you. You might want to put a pause before well. I think it's fairly obvious that there's a insane light. And <laughs> yeah, his eyes look very yeah. ancient. And in fact, you can make a, a psychology role, both you and Wintmeyer. Yeah, I wanted to like ask if I uh, see anything physically concerning. If I could use magic or, or <laughs> medicine. Or... Ooh, nice. All right. So... That guy's loony. He's a loony. Uh, as far as physical elements go with people in their seventies, you usually have half a dozen things at least yeah. that are in need of monitoring or attention, but you're also used to sending people in that age group on their way to live their lives as best they can. So nothing you can immediately do anything about, but it's that whatever's behind his eyes, that ineffable sense of age, but there's also, uh, uh, a manicness there. You know, like a, it'll seize on things and then discard it, seize on something else. Yeah. You know, a, a, per, a person who is searching but has run short on time to find what they are searching for. Perhaps a desperation. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you you notice that this is a marked difference from the last time you saw him on the first day of this investigation. Okay. Uh, so when I greet him, I'll... Uh, I will say you're looking well. <laughs> I obviously didn't pick up on any of that other stuff. I guess it's good to see you again. Uh, next time you decide to to take a trip out of town, though, so <laughs> please let oh. us know. I was awfully uh, worried about you. I did. It was part of the plan. It's just that the, the particular place I went was not. Well, unfortunately, I encountered perhaps a... Uh, uh, arrivals in this little endeavor and uh he gave me a suggestion that i could not refuse is uh is this someone trying to force you off of this investigation yes indeed you could say so same thing happened to me yeah, what was the nature of your um, encounter well two men uh followed me onto a trolley and uh i didn't realize at first that they had sinister intentions. So I went to speak with them because I noticed they were talking, they were looking at me. And as it turned out, they warned me that I had better stop asking questions and digging into the matter. Did they speak with a lisp? Did either of them have a, no. One or, didn't speak. The other one did. Yeah. But we, we, we found out that the, that was Sweeney and Quinn, right? Yep. Well, they work yeah. for a Francis Walsh. Were there the shadows like that of a snake? Uh, no, not that I noticed. <laughs> well, but then there's not heard, too much to worry about there. But it's funny that you say that because we're, we were just talking about someone who had a shadow that looked like that. Mr. We're, um, Blackman. Mr. Blackman. Yeah. yeah, you're in O'Lafferty's Cafe. Well, there are some things that should never be discussed in public where prying eyes and uh, ears can hear and see. Well, we, can, we can save at, it for... When we have private moment, mm -hmm. but it's very interesting that you say that. As, uh, we actually should be able to pick up that locket, uh, I believe, at the end of the week. Is that right? Yeah, locket. And 
Yeah, the the locket that was on Oren B. Eddy. Mm -hmm. I believe uh, Herr Monroe told mm -hmm. me about that, yes. Yes, yes. This Mr. Blackman had uh, offered me money to retrieve it. It's broken now, but I'm having it repaired. And uh, hopefully this guy yeah. will be able to lead me back to and so wherever Blackman? they are coming from. What of him? What do you remember of uh, Herr Blackman? Was, uh, at that. Uh, it was all uh, like uh, just a, a momentary look of terror. <laughs> that was because I was <laughs> I was pretty crazy <laughs> at the time, running from a god. Well, but I can see by your looks that perhaps we should save that discussion for privacy as well. Do you two recognize the the sign of insanity <laughs> within each other's eyes and <laughs> and bond on it? Whitfire's all better. He uh, went to bed, had a root beer, mm -hmm. some fizzy <laughs> pop. Right is right. So, how Treat far are you? This, <laughs> Mr. Mueller. How far are you in your investigation? Do you believe that you are uh, close to getting young Charlie Murphy off of the hook? Yes, I do. I oh. think we're very close. And we, so did, would you have told him that we went to the... Yeah, I would have told him everything. Uh, the first night that we, that I found him, I uh, probably would have caught him up on everything over the, over dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we met him at the sanitarium, and we convinced him to sign a request for new counsel, and we got James Clark, who's a member here, to take up his case. As a matter of fact, here is, and I'll pass over the folder that has the discovery evidence. Say so this is what he sent me. This is the evidence that he requested the uh, prosecuting attorneys give him access to. And so you can see, if you read these, I'll point, I'll point look to Monroe and say, if you just look at this signed confession and tell me it's not the most ludicrous confession <laughs> you've ever seen in your life. Well, of course it's sheer idiocy. And then the found... ritual was not satanic in nature. <laughs> As such, it may seem ridiculous to us because we have a, a little bit of a deeper understanding of these matters, but to the standard layman and, you know, God-fearing Christian, this appears to be something that would fall perfectly in line with a, a worshiper of Satan, as they would say. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. I suppose it'd be easy for people to believe Peter Fallon, the Detective Fallon, who we know is exceptionally corrupt, he's in this, I'll pass over that from the folder to Fallon's statement. Notice that it's there's two pages missing from it. Who knows what happened to those? And, you know, things keep turning up missing when Fallon is involved. Uh, I had gone, as you re remember, I had gone to the Hall of Records to determine who stands to inherit Dooley's property in the case of his death. And if you remember, I had discovered everything was bequeathed to a man named William Brooks in a handwritten note, but they had also told me that there was more information that had been taken from the file by Detective Fallon as evidence. So that's another thing that's shown up missing concerning him. That and two pages of his report are missing, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, two and three. Yeah. But we have made some progress trying to get a judge to put a stay on the electroshock therapy that they planned for Charlie out at Roxbury. And now we have a competent lawyer on the case, and so it's just up to us to... Have you perhaps found any other leads of who could have done it? Yes, there were some, uh, as you, 
I don't know if you saw the initial mm. journal, but um, Mr. Dooley recounted in his in his journal having a confrontation with some college boys, as he put it, and they had the Harvard um, crest, but with the pig's head in it, and I mm. recognized that from uh, my days there. So um, three healthy college age males mm. probably are strong enough to tear limbs off a body, but Charlie certainly is not. Uh, perhaps, but uh, I do not know if uh, affluent young college men would perpetrate such a crime. Well, he did. He did say they left a severed pig's head on his door. So animal cruelty is a sign of insanity. Not to mention that uh, if these young men were in the employer in the grasp of some new church of or cult of the starry wisdom, then perhaps I could perhaps they have been seduced by oh, rituals of some sort. I could also perhaps see that young Charlie Murphy could potentially be a scapegoat if they are affluent yeah. indeed. So perhaps that could be a lead. Hmm. So are we going to investigate the college? Yeah, well, we need to talk about what our next step is. Now, I still need to go meet with my friend at the university because he might have some answers about that fiber. And I wanted fiber? it. Fiber? Yeah. Um, I think Whitmire has one from when you guys met with Charlie Murphy. That yeah, yeah. I'll, pull I'll pull it out Yeah, we, my uh, jacket pocket and set it on the table. We were given this by Charlie when we met him. Yeah, I'll pick it up and kind of twirl it between my fingers and look at it. Yeah, and my friend says that it, it's it's exactly like the hairs that some insects have, but it's thousand times bigger than it ought to be. But we've got him looking at it through in a, you know, uh, super cooling conductive, a large uh, hadron collider microscope at Boston University. I think it's just a light microscope. I believe the mm. electron doesn't come out for a few years yet. <laughs> yeah, we gotta wait for the DLC. Well, he's right. got. <laughs> Yeah, he's on the cutting edge. <laughs> yeah, so it appears at first as although it's uh, metal, but you'll keep going back and forth on it. And of course, you would have been allowed a biology role, but he answered the question mm. about what it appears like. So, ah, ah, and you hope this will bear some sort of fruit? I'll yeah. put it back on the table. Yes, and I, I hope that because Charlie uh, intentionally gave it to us. Mm. He had a, a serious look on his face when he handed it to us. And didn't, Jimmy, didn't you find one somewhere else as well? Like I found one in Dooley's house. In Dooley's house, yeah. Yeah, like under the bed, I believe. Yeah. What other um, enlightenments did uh, young Murphy uh, bestow upon you? Uh, well, he, um, he wrote, uh, he used gravy to write uh, Latakia on the journal when I showed him his uncle's journal. Like the tobacco? As it turns out, yeah. So I went to a tobacconist to learn about that and and discovered all there is to tell a person about that and wondering why Charlie would have wrote that. I looked at his, uh, he had a customer list and it spoke of uh, customer X mm. and had a weird shadow, a wrong shadow is how Charlie wrote it, um, mm -hmm. had put in an order to, a special order to, Bright Breechester, and uh, you know, based on my conversation with the tobacconist, I think that's what this order was for. I see. Some English tobacco, and uh, that person Charlie described as having a wrong shadow. 
Because that uh, order that they had gotten in is also in my trunk. Yeah, and we have that order. Mm-hmm. Well, go uh, catch it real quick. Perhaps my my nose full of tobacco will come in handy at last. Okay. Well, uh, you know, perhaps we ought to take our conversation somewhere more private. I most yeah. definitely agree with that, Haron Drews. Do we want to go to, or Lance, can we use your, your uh, shop, Curioso shop? I believe that there's a, a small supply room in the back that we could use, but with any luck, the main area will be awash with patrons. <laughs> We're going to get there and there's nobody. <laughs> Probably, yeah. but still. <laughs> what, why don't we just use this area? <laughs> All right, so transitioning the scene to Monroe's Curioso. Give me a luck roll, Monroe. A luck roll. Come on, critical luck roll so I can increase power. <laughs> nice. Hmm. So. Well, yes, to your surprise, your museum is busy. Nice. It All the flyers been, I've been handing out. Right. It's paying off. Uh, it's been taken up ever since your Peruvian ex- exposition, <laughs> exhibition. And... Uh, that's still something that surprises you, given how dead it was prior to all of that. But yeah, so you'll come in and you'll be like, oh, yes, just as I intended. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you go back to a storeroom where you keep different artifacts that aren't currently on display sitting until such a time as they rotate out to the display where you are afforded privacy. Uh, so uh, I'll bring the uh, that box in with us that contained the last order from Dooley's Fine tobaccos and non-cigarette smokers. <laughs> yeah, so this is the tin in question, Mr. Mueller. Dreamcastle pipe mixture. Ah, Seems to be sealed. Dreamcastle. Um, I'll crack it and put my nose in it. Okay, so... Vanity check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. To your dismay, the tin aroma smells of vanilla and cocoa. And there's a mildly sharp note to it, which you think might be whiskey. Hmm. Uh, so it's pretty... It's heavily cased, whatever it is. I'm not so. too worried about that. Is Do I smell any hints of Latakia? Or? You do, yeah. You smell it just a little bit, though, and you do see a few of black pieces. This is like a, mm-hmm. a long ribbon cut with mostly medium brown leaves, some darker, mm-hmm. and a few black pieces. Well, there is some Latakia in here, and so I would not call this uh, true English, for as you can probably smell already, it's highly aromatic. So perhaps this... Mr. X, as, or Herr X, as you are calling him, uh, reeked of this tobacco, but I do not know. You could just smell the Latakia. Maybe we should smoke it. On him. Yeah, no. maybe you should smoke it. Yeah. Well, we have pipes. Let's do it. I do not have the appropriate pipe to smoke an aromatic, unfortunately, so I will allow you two to uh, smoke, and I will imbibe the room note, if you will allow me. It's all... Uh, all- Roll some up into a cigarette. Oh. <laughs> Just playing. Clayton comes uh, bursting into the room. No, no, this cannot be done. I thought Johan would just pull his gun and fire. Right. Yeah. So as soon as I put it in my mouth, it'll be the uh, cane sword out the back of the head. No, I'll just shoot shoot it <laughs> out of your mouth. <laughs> so Whitmire rolls up some pipe tobacco. And then you have your pipe that you recently bought. Ah, that's a handsome little clay pipe. A good starter. Mm, thank you. So, yeah, when you puff it up, the immediate taste to it is is sort of nutty in flavor. It has a mild sweetness. 
a kind of a faint note of almost grass, you would think. That would be the Virginia. Yeah. Especially if it's a blonde or bright Virginia. Very grassy. Um, and then the flavors you detect is predominantly vanilla, and that comes in through your nose, not actually in the taste of the smoke. And for those of you non-smokers, such as Monroe, or who aren't currently smoking, that makes up the mo- most of the room note. There is something, though, like that you keep smacking your lips at when you imbibe it, and you, and you it keeps you kind of wanting to draw it, though you can't put your finger on it. So, But it definitely would make a distinct smell. Do you recognize this smell, Whitmire? Um, I mean, do I? I'm not, I have, don't remember no, encountering anybody uh, with a pipe or... There, you can't, you can't quite figure out what it would be. Of course, you probably couldn't pick out, I don't think, the types of tobacco that would be in it by smoking it either. I don't know if you're at that level no. of tobacco use. I, I would think that I would, I would try to recall if I've ever smelled it before, maybe on somebody or around somebody. No, Did you I don't smell it on Mr. when I was talking with Mr. Blackman. No, you didn't smell it on Mr. Blackman. Okay. Um, to try to describe it, it's like if you try a delicacy, maybe something that's pickled or whatnot, where at first you're sort of repulsed by this aftertaste that comes in once you exhale or not exhale, but you blow out the smoke, right? Uh, it, it's at first sort of putrid, maybe, or it, it smacks of maybe decadence. Something, you can't quite put your finger on it, but you just want to try it again after you you blow out that puff of smoke to just get to that aftertaste part. Mm. But as, you know, one of you was saying, ah, it tastes kind of nutty, it's sweet, it's grassy, and like he correctly identified the Virginian in it, that sort of thing. You're not sure. It would take a more trained tongue, mm-hmm. perhaps, mm. to, to get the full flavor profile. Uh, might have, my pipe may not be suited for it, but perhaps you will loan me... Yours, Herr Andrews? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll take a couple puffs. Yeah, so you can make out... Let it uh, play on the tongue and then exhale it through the nose. Yeah, so you like you correctly identified the Virginian. Uh, you think it's mainly burly mm. is, that is composed of... Most aromatics are comprised mainly of burly. It takes the casing well. And, uh, and it, you don't taste the lataki in there, but you see it's keeping the coal well. Like you're not having to immediately relight it in the time he passed it off to you. So maybe there's just enough in there to, to help ease the burning. But yeah, vanilla is what you mostly detect through your nose as you're imbibing. And then whiskey at just a whisper level. But this taste that they're describing, you've never smoked uh, tobacco like it. Hmm. So this is an odd, odd flavor. So I cannot recognize it. Ah, almost. Hmm. Uh, almost makes one sick at first, but quickly becomes rather palatable almost. I would not trust any uh, tobaccos that these strange shadowed, serpent shadowed men smoke. Mm. Would not be surprised if mm, no. I'll pass the pipe back to Andrews if I'm able to. (laughs) You do want, you know, just another Toke just to see what that maybe you can get it on the second go or something like that, but you're able to pass it back without any sort of roll or anything like that. And Monroe, what are you doing as you watch your companions smoke up a storm? Um, I, I suppose at this point, I'd, I'd probably, as they're going over that, I'll be talking about uh, the things that I had found at the library and the describe the rituals that that uh, match up with the rituals that they had found in in the deeper. 
Um, so are you painting the picture that you and Mueller had kind of put together of? Yeah, of, kind of like, like they they'd gone through and laid out what they had gone over, and then while they're smoking, I figure uh, I'd be laying out what we did with probably uh, some exclamations from Mueller every once in a while. Hmm. Okay. Do you guys just talk describing. about the dinner with Wayne Nichols and his wife? Well, that was before I left, so I was just going to focus on the things that uh, uh, Mueller and I had found after we had separated. Yeah, Not mentioning his crazy rampage of uh, stealing a car and no. driving across country I, and uh, well, I, assaulting a librarian and I'd probably leave that out, but for the, for the most part, uh, I probably wouldn't have too much problem interjecting with some of the the lighter stuff of it. Okay, like uh, these serpent shadowed men from the consortium uh, that speak with a lisp seem to have some sort of power. Uh, their words take heavy weight, and it is very hard to shake off once they make a suggestion to you. I would advise that if you hear them, you do not let them speak. Though I have no uh, first-hand knowledge if a forty-five round would stop them from doing so if they wished to continue. So these are like uh, pish tacos? And, uh, 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 yeah, Herr Monroe uh, told me about them on the way here. Uh, yes, I believe they are some sort of otherworldly entity. Mm. Yeah. Although there. perhaps not quite as uh, engrossed as the majority of them. Perhaps more like... Um, what was the guy's name that we beheaded? Oh, Mon- uh, Montoya. Luis de Mendoza. Mendoza, yeah. Perhaps more along the lines of Mendoza than than the uh, purely instinctual creatures. I also theorize that they might not even... Well, I, I forget we know about Atlantis and the Serpent People. Oh, yeah. We would. Well, I, I, and I think uh, Whitmire had a vision. They might not even them. be uh, uh, like a... A whole, they might not be possessing a body hmm. as such. They might actually be another race. Oh, um, there were uh, theories about uh, ancient city of Atlantis hmm. that was ruled by a serpent peoples that were forced to flee under the earth. Hmm. Um, it very well could be that they are the serpent race, or uh, taking the guise of human form, or that they are disciples. Uh, but, Yig, I believe, yes, correct, Yig. as a serpent god, ancient, powerful serpent god. But they can be detected by their their shadow? The shadow ends the way in which they speak. Yeah, and uh, and even the uh, the method of Dooley's death and and some of the scrawlings and artifacts we've found do lend towards this theory of them, of Yig, Yig. at least worshippers of him. So is that the... Um, that eye sign that was painted in Dooley's house? More the uh, small toad statues that we well, seem to I find believe, everywhere. I believe the toad was another one, right? Yeah, so this is in Monroe's uh, interactions with mm. the consortium member where you got the impression, or maybe it was from the De Vermis Mysterious, I forget quite at the moment, but you got the impression that a subset of serpent people lit, at least blasphemed. once worshipped Yig, but blasphemed and became worshippers okay. of Zagua. Oh, yes, uh, Zogua. Yes. 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 The, the, was it the sleeping? I always like, I forget what he is. The sleeper of Nkai. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the sleeper of Nkai. Yes, yes, yes. Which taken together with your journeys into that place out in Oklahoma, uh, if the 
Hall of History has it right, and the serpent people fled underground, then they sure inscribed a lot of images of Zagua onto their walls. Yeah. Rather than Yig. Okay, so the ones that, that we likely saw. splinter cult uh, yeah. blasphemers to Yig. Mm. Yes. And, well, well, it may seem uh, unlikely, perhaps, the, uh, the cult did survive somewhere in, in the Americas, and uh, it seems as if there's some sort of a resurgence. So it's with all this dream castle tobacco smoke going up in the air and all this talk of cults and serpent people and ancient deities, where the main takeaway for the Boston crew would be that there appears to be within Boston a framework of some esoteric power that is still here, perhaps latent or perhaps taken over by some new group in the Chapel of Contemplation that we will have to leave off Mm. for today and continue our investigations at a later time. Thank you guys for playing. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, Travis. Let's do the skill rolls and such. (laughs) Damn it. Unfortunately, the only things that (laughs) I seem to roll are Latin and occult, and I'm tapped out on Latin. Hey, Travis, do you know... This has been a Death Watch production. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 